You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. We are back. Uh, well, at least I am here in the intro. Uh, Will was detained this past week, um, but we do have some reviews we can share that we recorded previous to this. Um, that's the good news. Uh, we will uh, put that out. Uh, this is probably this is uh, going to be expect to die from 1997, uh, directed by Jalal Marie. Um, uh, starring uh, David Bradley and Evan Lurie. Um, this uh, was the first thing we recorded when we got the show back up and going, and um, wanted to see if we still had the uh, the touch. I think maybe it was the game plan, and uh, I think we did. I think we did. I think we had a pretty good time uh, recording it, and uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I think that um, you know we we try our hardest to you know, keep the show going. And, uh, we wanted to make sure that it was worth the effort when we came back. And I think it has been the downloads have shown that, and we have never felt more loved than we do now. Uh, we didn't do that with this goal and purpose. Um, honestly, I honestly thought it was coming to an end and I was just going to have to do something else, but the gentleman's got a nice cinema still living and it's still surviving and we're still going. So, uh, we hope you enjoy uh, this review of Expect to Die from 1997, and uh, we'll uh, regroup and be back again, the both of us, uh, next week uh, for a more proper intro and whatnot. Um, I guess I could talk about some of the things I watched to kind of fill a little bit of time here. Um, I, I did watch a few things uh, on my own, and I'll just kind of throw them out there. Um not a whole lot, uh, as my whole life is as busy as anybody's life can possibly be. Um, <laughs> I'll just be honest with you right now. But uh, I watched a few things, and you know, in the spirit of sharing, I'll uh, share a few of those things with you guys. Uh, I watched the uh, the real Charlie Chaplin. This is a documentary about Charlie Chaplin, and it's kind of a 
interesting one. It, you know, I've watched a lot of these documentaries on these silent film stars, and a lot of these guys had problems. Uh, maybe none more controversial in some ways than uh, Charlie Chaplin with his affection for young women. Um, obviously, he was cinematically a, a genius, but this kind of gets into the fact that he kind of happened upon things almost by accident in some ways. And kind of was just the right person in the right place at the right time in some ways. And, um, you know, regardless of what you think about him personally, and I understand anybody who doesn't, you know, uh, want anything to do with Charlie Chaplin stuff at this point, you know, and kind of the culture we're living in nowadays. But, um, you know, the art itself kind of stands for itself and on its own. And obviously he was very important to cinematic language. Um, it's a really good documentary. Uh, I really enjoyed it anyway. I like the, uh, it was the first time I think I'd ever seen the interior of the home that Chaplin grew up in and maybe the street that he grew up on, some pictures, some old photographs, some archive stuff. Um, and that was pretty neat. And uh, there was a few other things that I enjoyed about it. Um, I switched gears and checked out The Scary of 61st. Now, this is a little independent film. Um I checked it out. I thought it had an interesting premise. It's very independent. It's very, uh, I think it's shot on 16 millimeter maybe. And maybe kind of blown up. I'm not sure. Definitely has a a look. But this is kind of a take on like almost like a Rosemary's Baby, but with like modern uh, kind of pop culture terror to it with a a couple of ladies who rent a apartment that was once owned by Jeffrey Epstein, another infamous (laughs) uh, person when it comes to... uh, illegal activity uh it's an interesting premise i think the film does a good job um working on that premise but i found the movie i found the 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 sort of amateur acting and some of the dialogue uh, just a bit too trite for me uh and the film the pacing is kind of way off the back end is a lot of fun but the front end of it is just i don't know it just kind of lingers there and it feels very um, for lack of a better term in some ways. And and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it just felt overtly um, 90s independent cinema in some way. Like a lot of unnecessary talking and stuff. And of course they had to fill out their film and their screenplay and whatnot. But um, it's it's it was decent. It was pretty good. Uh, I would recommend it, but I would only recommend it for those who are truly adventurous. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody else. Uh, checked out Red Rocket. Uh, Red Rocket directed by... Uh, Sean Baker, uh, this one's getting a lot of buzz due to Simon Rex's performance in the film. And uh, I think the performances in this film are amazing. All the performances in this movie are great. I think the problem with this movie, if there is one, is this is... I have no idea why this movie's two hours long. <laughs> I feel like the story can be told uh, so much quicker. I mean, like, there could be a whole half an hour cut out of this thing. Um, and, uh, I think the same, the same power would come through. Um, that being said, this is a, it's a funny movie, but it's, it's very dark and, uh, it deals with some dark subjects, you know, ex pornographic stars, um, possible future pornographic stars, possible, uh, misguided relationships. Well, this seems to be a theme this week with, uh, men who are attracted to women under the age of 18. It's kind of frightening for me to kind of realize that right now. Yikes. But uh, there is um, there's some very good, like I said, very good performances in here. I think the film's very good. 
Uh, Simon Rex, he definitely, if he gets any kudos or awards, he definitely deserves some of that. I mean, he does a really good job in the film. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Something's missing with the pacing on this thing. I found myself uh, bored at times, and I felt like it just kind of meandered uh, when it shouldn't have. But overall, it's still a strong film. And then I checked out The, uh, the Green Knight. Uh, this is uh, David Lowry's uh, newer film. I had been putting this one off for a long time. Um, finally got around to it. Uh, again, same issues. I think visually this movie is one of the best looking films of the year. There's no doubt about that. It's imaginative. It's gorgeous. It's well shot. It's well thought out. But for whatever reason, it seems like Lowry is kind of, and this is just my opinion, in love with what he's shooting, maybe too much. And it just kind of hangs around way too much in certain areas, I think. I think the story is is very dense, and, and those who know the story know there's a lot to be told, but I don't know if you needed to tell all of that. Um, I don't know if this is Green Knight slash Lord of the Rings, and he needed everything in there, or if it just would have been a better, more entertaining film if he just would have cut things down. Uh, the performances are all really good. I think the film is, like I said, magnificent to look at, but um, it's it's slow. It's a slow-paced film. I, I, I couldn't recommend it to everybody. I'd only recommend it to those who are patient and uh, are ready for a film like this. Um, I'm amazed in some ways. Maybe not because I guess, you know, it, it could be seen as an independent film, but I'm amazed sometimes that... Uh, you know, somebody puts money behind films like these anymore because they're, they're so slow-paced that I, I think audiences kind of fade away. And, that, and the main complaint I've read about Green Knight is that it is slow. Um, I agree with that. I don't think it's a bad thing, um, but I can see where people would think it was a bad thing. So, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, you know, it's like an 8 out of 10 for me. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a gorgeous movie, a movie that I'll revisit off and on. Um, very just striking visuals and, and well-played um, work with the legend itself. Um, but yeah, just hangs around way too much. And, uh, you know, I mean, again, maybe that's a complaint of mine. Uh, maybe I, I, I'm this old man who just wants these 90-minute films all the time. But I don't think so. I think that, you know, films generally have gone on and become way too long. And I don't know when that started, but it just it just seems like it's it's a almost an epidemic at this point. And um, I think a lot of story can be told in looks and um, and moving story along very quickly with just you know cuts and things like that. And I kind of miss that. I kind of really do. Um, I really miss the ninety to one hundred minute film. <laughs> um, but it seems like everything's got to be one hundred and fifteen to one hundred and forty two minutes nowadays. So. I don't know. Again, I I like a lot of films that are two hours plus. Don't get me wrong. But you really got to kind of, I think, up the ante uh, and keep things moving if you're going to go over two hours. Uh, or else I think a modern audience, including my 48-year-old self, might fall out of the film a little bit. But yeah, that's all I watched. Um, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll you'll hear Will and I talk about uh, Expect to Die from 1997. We'll be back right after this.
All right, everybody. So we're going to talk about a little movie called Expect to Die from 1997. Uh, this one is directed by Jalal. Uh, is it Jalal? It's Jalal. Jalal right? Merhi, yeah. the one and only. Merhi, yeah. Uh, who made quite a few action movies <laughs> in the 90s. Uh, oh, really, yeah. really wanted to make himself a uh, a movie star, I think. And uh, I'll leave it up to everybody out there if they decide that he's become one or not. He's certainly a cult actor. Uh, I know some yes. folks really like him and enjoy him. So, um, this is directed by Jalal Marie. Uh, uh, Marie, Marie, Marie. Marie. Yeah. Uh, let's get into a plot synopsis here. The military has been testing a new virtual reality fighting simulator. But testing is abruptly canceled when a soldier loses his life during the action. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll shut you down every time. Um, uh, its creator, Dr. Vincent McIntyre, goes underground to continue developing the device until Detective Justin Blake, and that's Jalal Marie, who's so far removed from a Justin Blake. He is Blake. not a Justin Blake. <laughs> no. And his partner, Stone, which we'll talk about the partner, break oh, into yeah. a syndicate to stop them. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, this is directed by Jalal Marie, uh, written by Kevin Lunn and uh, Stephen Mounder. Mounder? Mounder. <laughs> Mounder. Mounder. That's got uh, Jalal Marie. Uh, it's got David Bradley. Uh, that's American Ninja's own David Bradley, right? And American Samurai's own. Yeah, David that's right. Bradley. Yeah. Evan Lurie's in here. I think he plays the. Uh, He's stone, man. He's the stone character. Yeah, he didn't do a lot. Uh, this kind of came up a uh, ways back. Uh, Will was kind of goofing off one night watching some movies, I think, and he kind of captured a screenshot because at one point in the movie, uh, or in the credits, there's a, a credit for uh, Bill Pickles and uh, Laser Rockwood, right? Is it Rockwood? That is correct. Man. Laser <laughs> Rockwood, Bill Pickles share the screen as credits together. Yes. Now, Bill Pickles, you probably haven't seen much in anything. Maybe some other films like this. He kind of looks like the Weekend at Bernie's guy a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Laser Rockwood is, for me, and, and and if I'm wrong, you can tell me I'm wrong, but he's the poor man's Billy Drago. Uh, that's that's a pretty fair statement, I think. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a Serbian, I think, or Czechoslovakian or something, a Croatian maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Maybe I've seen it. Maybe I haven't. I've went through his film out there. But uh, I know I've seen some stuff. Certainly some horror films he's been in. So David Bradley's coming off of, you know, American Ninja, which was a pretty substantial hit for him. I, I don't remember if the movie was big in the theater, um, but I remember everybody talking about it growing up, right? Oh, yeah, man. It was It was so woven into the fabric of our youth american ninja you know anyone who's about say like 38 to about 48 i, I think they they all think fondly about uh, the american ninja franchise and the yeah. dudikoff and then the bradley carrying the torch and yeah yeah that's what we, we should definitely clarify for those who don't know and I'm, I'm sure there are some who listen to the show who don't know what american ninja is but david bradley is not the original american ninja but he is kind of he kind of got woven into the fabric of the franchise, and in some way, I think it was was it either it was I think it was three maybe that he took the lead role. I I feel like it was three, and then he ran with it a little bit, and then I feel like they teamed up. Yeah. Bradley, it's like you get getting Sammy Hagar and <laughs> yeah. uh, David Lee Roth together to do a duet for Van Halen. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, and Bradley he only worked from eighty nine to ninety seven, so he was in and out. 
he just he he hopped in there, did a few things, and you know you got American Samurai in there, American Ninja Three, American Ninja Four, American Ninja Five. Uh, it's weird because in American Ninja Three and Four, he's Sean Davison, but in Five, he's Joe Castle. So that happens, yeah, that happens. I'll tell you, he's good in Cyborg Cop. I think he's the kind of guy. Any we've I think we've even mentioned this in the show where if you could get a few keywords and put them on like you know six sided die mm-hmm. and roll them, you'd get different titles like American Ninja, American Samurai, yeah. Cyborg Cop. Yeah. American cop, cyborg samurai. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can basically yeah. just take his whole filmography and just move words around and have yes. have other action movies. Hard Justice, yeah. Blood Run. Yeah, Hard blood Justice, Warriors. Blood. Or you could say Blood Justice or Hard Run. <laughs> <laughs> or or Run Cop. Well, I, Run I, Cop. I, I definitely would see a movie called Run Cop. <laughs> I would definitely Maybe watch the that. Movie. Yeah, that's right. I like I like the, I like when the titles are that ludicrous. You know, Run Cop and Kick Fighters. That that's the best. <laughs> face punchers. Yeah, face punchers, kick punchers. Yeah. Um. So he's uh, he's the heavy in this, and I guess I'll lead on this since you picked this. This is something sure. you brought up a long time ago. Um. He he kind of had a look, David Bradley. Yeah. I I, I I shouldn't say he's the lead, but he's definitely the heavy. And I got to say. Yes. Easily, he's the most interesting thing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, although the Stone character adds a nice little bit of flavor, I don't know if it's the flavor I wanted. It's kind of this <laughs> mid '90s <laughs> kind of. I don't know what he is. New metal slash new rap type fan. I don't know what he is. He's wearing yeah. Like he's grungy. this weird like um, mid '90s. M- what is it? like? What are those? Like one of those MTV reality shows in the '90s? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, like the Real World. You could yeah. see him on like the Real World or something. Totally. Totally. I could totally see him on that. He's got like those, he's got those real skinny sideburns that come down mm-hmm. to about his lobe, right? His ear lobe and no yep. facial hair whatsoever, but he wears like flannel shirts and backwards and, baseball hat. Yeah. Always the backwards baseball hat. Like he can't, he can't turn it around the other way. He has no comprehension of no. what it would look like the other way around. Uh, so he's kind of an undercover cop and he kind of gives, I, I see why Marie put him in the film because he kind of gives the movie a little bit of character. So, I, we had kind of talked behind the scenes about this a little bit. This movie's fun. I, I don't think it's going to be much fun for anybody who doesn't like these kind of movies, though, because it's pretty slow and a little thick with uh, the VR technology that's not so great. It, it, for better or worse, Mayor, he decides he doesn't. he's not going to hide his creature. He is going to let his creature yeah. run free. Yes. Right? So... <laughs> Hey, it was the 90s. VR was a thing. He was just going to bask in the warm green glow, yeah, for better or worse. And VR has come so far from this, and yet it hasn't. Uh, I think the promise of VR has always been there. And I, and we have a VR headset here in the house. I mean, there's some pretty cool stuff you can do with them and stuff, but it's just not quite there yet. The technology's just still not quite there. Uh, it It's mostly there. Like, I've played some mm-hmm. golf games that are pretty amazing, and I've done a few other things that are pretty cool. Um, but it's still not completely there. Um, but here, but here, <laughs> here, <No, it's> here. <laughs> yeah, here, the assumption is it's full tilt. It's, it's all the way here. It's yeah. uh, there's no question about it. Now this is very, he, he did, uh, he directed a few films. Uh, he's probably oh, yeah. known for, uh, the circuit trilogy. The oh. Circuit Trilogy, the Tiger Claws Trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't TC2000. Did we cover TC2000 on the show? Yeah, we did TC2000, but I don't think he... I think he was just a producer on that one, But I don't, and I think yeah. he was in the movie, maybe. But 
I don't think he directed Tiger Claws. I think he was a producer because that's what he kind of started out as. I think he's kind of the money yeah. guy for a while. His film one company, which produced this and all the other films we mentioned, he started out producing. We'd get in front of the camera, behind the camera, sometimes both. Yeah. And in the 90s, if you were into direct-to-video uh, action and martial arts films, you probably came across a Jalal Marahi joint. Probably did. Probably did. You probably came across one of the Tiger Claws or one of the circuits. I mean, that guy's been in two two trilogies. That's not bad. Yeah. Right? And looks like uh, he's in, uh, ooh, the last thing he was in, 2015. I'd be curious to see that. Uh, the risk oh, factor. Man. Risk factor is what it's called. So that's interesting. Into the There's heat. a risk factor, risk factor in watching that, man. <laughs> yeah. There's this movie he's in called Into the Heat. Yeah, he... Uh, he is a, that just sounds like uh, somebody from another country trying to make an American title, right? Into the heat, into the run cup. The, <laughs> so he was, he was Nicky Picasso in TC2000. So he was, yeah. but anyway, he wanted to get in front of the camera and uh, he's produced more than he's uh, done anything else. He's uh, oddly, he's still working as a producer today. He's doing a, there's a TV series of the circuit, I guess. Evidently, wow, there's chasing that circuit paper, man. Yeah, evidently, there's some show he did called Rough Rescue, which is like a pet <laughs> clinic of LA. Looks like it might be a reality show. Oh, Rough as an R U F F. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, looks like a soccer dream show 21 episodes of soccer dreams. Here's one that's interesting uh, 12 episodes, executive producer on Botox Queen of Queens, New York. As I've known to do, but the key with Rough Rescue is <laughs> did you leave out the back half of that title? Oh, I, no, well, I, I left out the the back half of the first title, but uh, ah. there's two. There's MASH Pet Clinic of L.A., but the, the second one is the one I'm sure you're going to talk about. <laughs> oh, that's it, man. Rough Rescue Brooklyn, the dog father. Yes. So, <laughs> so uh, I mean, again, he knows where his bread is buttered. He's just, uh, and I'm sure he's making some money because uh, reality shows, if they're, although I've never heard of those reality shows. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. I'm sure he's probably making some cash somehow, some way. He's still a businessman. Yeah, well, that's it, right? He's exactly. You said he's a businessman, and that the direct-to-video action stuff dried up a bit. So this is—he's going where he can to make money at a, you know, reasonable cost. Yeah. So our movie kind of starts with this incident, <laughs> and uh, and we get a uh, a very fired up David Bradley uh, who's not happy. They're cutting his funding. Nope. Um, the, the general is, is not happy to be in front of the camera. It seems like the guy playing the general, he's not in the slightest. He's not, uh, he's not doing the best acting, but uh, David Bradley is very upset that they're cutting the funding to his VR project. And so he kind of goes on the lamb. He kind of, you know, decides he's going to start donning black turtlenecks and, uh, jeans with the belt and the turtleneck tucked in and maybe a jacket every now and then the, yeah. the you know, the mid nineties, uh, <laughs> grown man that's, you know, hanging on to his youth look. Got a few dollars. Yeah, yeah. Wants everyone to know. Yeah. Got the Steve Jobs thing going a yeah. little bit there. Um, and then we meet the Marie character, who's this uh, kind of a righteous cop. And they set up uh, how we get introduced to the Marie character is, is he's kind of a, well, he's just a, a guy in love with his wife, but, or his girlfriend. We're not really, I think it's his wife. And they gonna go, they're going to go on a sting in, uh, what is easily uh, here's what I will say about this movie. It does have one of my favorite warehouse dinner scenes. <laughs> oh man, it's it's really a highlight. The film starts off at a really breakneck pace, and it, it just it has you know, with all due respect to the rest of the film, because I think the film, like you'd said, it's 
it doesn't overstay its runtime, but it does get a bit saggy. Whereas that opening with like the warehouse dinner scene and uh-huh. the bikini shootout and yeah, I mean it's just it's fantastic. Yeah, that makes you think you're in for something else. But yeah, the the warehouse scene is is pretty great, uh, and and it kind of leads to the. Again, like I said, there's there's kind of the promise of maybe the film being quite ludicrous from that point, uh, because that warehouse scene is probably well. I mean, obviously, outside of the VR scenes, okay, the VR yes. scenes are ridiculous. But they are. I expected the VR scenes to be ridiculous. I wanted more of the warehouse shootout scene, though. That's what I usually tune into these '90s straight video action movies for. And this movie, and this movie, I think you'll agree, this movie doesn't have a whole lot of that. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. I mean, I think there's a lot of good stuff here. It's, I guess, if you're going to use a wrestling term, it would maybe compete for like the TV title or like the US title, like a scrappy contender. But it's it's got some parts, but it, it never. It's definitely not something you'd mention as sort of an all timer. No. Um, despite some promise, like I said, I just think there's some, and you know, we'll get into this obviously more as we go. But just to echo your sentiment, the warehouse scene is strong. It starts fun. It's I have a smile on my face. There's just a ludicrous lingerie shootout shoehorned in yeah. with a mannequin. Yeah. You know, it's it's just it's fantastic. But they Mary, for better or worse, wants to be the super cop. And in doing that, yeah. he wastes his partner literally early on, <laughs> wastes her. Uh, <laughs> and then with with Stone, I mean, you know, Stone's got this kind of affable goofy kind of jock charm um sort of like a i guess like maybe like a rob gronkowski sidekick cop yeah kind of like a rob gronkowski type yeah you know and i i don't love gronkowski because you know i don't love the patriots but uh you know but he's got that that goofy charm that you know yeah he's he's like well and you know what and they don't give him enough opportunity to fight no he gets kind of one scene he's a big guy he's got a presence and he's done some other stuff you know low budget stuff but he's been good in um yeah, not to get ahead of ourselves too much, but even Bradley, a guy who's known for his martial arts, they don't give him a whole lot to do from a martial arts perspective. So it's kind of like Mary He going, this one's me, yeah. you know, and I get it. You know, when you're bankrolling it, you can make those decisions, but your film's going to suffer a little bit as a result. Yeah, I think that that's the biggest problem is because the, the warehouse scene is kind of so fun. And again, I need to ask this question because it's my logical brain working. It's just fun to ask the question, but who lights all the candles? I mean, who lights them all? Jesus Christ. Man. There's a lot of candles I, here. <laughs> in that that, see, they need their own credit. I mean, there's a lot of candles. The candle lighter. Candle but lighter. The, it, it, that scene, it feels like outside of the VR scenes, the majority of the budget is spent on that scene. Because yeah. that's got the biggest shootout. It's got probably the most action. There are some fight scenes and some other stuff that take place after the fact, and some decent fight scenes. They're not, yeah. I, I mean, they're not amazing, but they're good. Um, and it, that kind of stuff kind of livens it up. But I mean, they go full tilt with the warehouse because you get the mannequin thing, you get that, uh, you get a nice little uh, d- double cross moment, or may- maybe not a double cross moment. It's not a double cross. It's more like a, uh, a whoops, we let our guard down moment. And, yep. And. <laughs> And then, of course, you get to the parking lot and you see all those junk cars. And you know, in the GGTMC world of rules, if there's a bunch of junk cars in the parking lot, they're going to get blown up or they're going to get wrecked or something. (laughs) See, they do. And it's pretty glorious. This is practical. Ironically, in a movie about VR, thankfully, (laughs) it's practical effects. Um, And it's good. That's the thing. It's almost like. 
I don't know, you know, Mayor, he kind of lost, lost the script a little bit on this one by kind of, I don't know. He just, he wanted to put too much on his plate. And, and by doing that, you kind of shoot yourself in the foot with the uh, Nintendo duck hunt gun, you know, it's kind of stumbles a little bit, but yeah, I'll tell you this too. Some of that stuff's fun because all the, all the dirt bags at the warehouse get a gun. All of them are like, um, gun thrower shooters like Muhammad and Raiders of Atlantis. Yeah. All of them shoot that way where they throw the gun when they shoot. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, the, uh, the, and of course, you know, they close it out with the rocket launcher, which is again, that's a 90s trope thing. (laughs) You know, you got to put the hammer down, right? So they, you know, like the guy reaches in the car, he's like, wait a minute, I get it for you. And then just, you know, uses the rocket launcher. So those are always fun to see. And so, so here I am. I'm I'm 20 minutes into this movie, and I'm thinking, oh, we might have, we might have a hidden gem here. We just don't know it yet. Yeah. Because the shootout scene's not bad. The warehouse is crazy. The David Bradley's overacting in the uh, the the meeting room. So and a rare turn is a heavy. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we might have something here. But unfortunately, I th- I think once it gets to the the VR aspects of the movie. The technology doesn't need to make sense because all you really need is the headset and all that kind of stuff. Although I don't really understand the logic of actually getting hurt in VR, and they don't really understand, no. they don't really explain it very well. This does lead to a nice scene of probably my favorite thing in the movie, which is David Bradley talking into what is potentially, I guess, a leopard or a jaguar head. Oh man, I'm glad <laughs> I'm so glad you brought this up because yeah. he for some reason he keeps this leopard head on his desk. And he he snarls at it like he he really engages with this leopard head. Yes, and it's pretty funny. Uh, I can't remember what the leopard's <laughs> head's name was. I think it had a name, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. It'd be it'd be great if they gave it a credit. Yeah, but we had a pretty good time. I well, I had a pretty good time with that aspect. And again, so now that that that's pretty much the scene following this. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking, okay. So we'll, you know, we gamble on these straight-to-video action movies. We know that. And when you pick yeah. one or I pick one, or even when Todd used to pick one, whenever you pick one of these things, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes you're going to get a gym. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed uh, Desert Snow. I think that's the one we did a while back, all yeah. three of us. And obviously, we've enjoyed some really fun ones that have kind of picked up steam over the years. Uh, Flesh and Bullets, I think, was that one, that Robert Zadar one. And then there's some other ones. Yeah. The aerosol jams, of yeah, course. I Sean, mean, the Sean Donahue a, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood hands, yeah, blood hands, yeah, blood hands, <laughs> and uh, yeah, sorry, run roll violators. Yeah, cop hands, and then cop hands, <laughs> blood cop, <laughs> hand circuit. But yes, they, we, you know, they, they, these things are a roll of the dice because these are guys trying to make a buck off a movie, and it's basic exploitation. It's very simple, and it can lead to fun, like I say, little gems. But I think after the scene with David Bradley and the Jaguar head and the first bit of VR where he kidnaps the guy with the gigantic goatee. Yeah. Uh, and that guy's got some pretty good kung fu moves, too. For a big dude, he's, yeah. he does move well. Yeah. Uh, to give a, anybody a description, he kind of looks like Jim the Anvil Nightheart a little bit. Uh, yeah. Or, or maybe Tank Abbott or something, but he can he can move around. Um but after that scene, it feels to me, and I don't know if you felt this way, but it feels to me, and maybe you got some better, maybe you got some juice for the back end for me, because I really fell off a cliff with this thing after about the first 40 minutes. Like, it was yep. it was fine. The first 40 minutes, I'm like, okay. 
this is exactly what I expect it to be. It's a little bonkers. It's probably going to go places. And and Bradley tries. Well, I, he does. I, I, we should, I should, yeah, we should give credit. Well, I should give credit because I don't know how you feel about the movie yet for sure. I think you might like it more than me. But I, I have to give Bradley credit. He really does try here to get as crazy as he possibly can come up with. And by the way, yeah. doesn't have you ever noticed how much David Bradley and Costas Mandalore look alike in some ways? They do. There's even, yeah, David Bradley, like you said earlier, he's got a look. He's a good looking guy. The sort of Jeff Speakman. He's like yeah. the poor man's kind of Jeff Speakman. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe not even the poor man's because I think we're giving too much credit to Speakman because he really didn't do much other than the perfect weapon. Yeah. Bradley, he's got a good look. He was a good martial artist. He's playing against type here. And I agree with you. He's bringing energy. He's trying to kind of be the right kind of over the top, snarling at stuff you know, big game cat heads and wearing blazers with turtlenecks and breaking bottles at bars. And, yeah. you know, and he's doing it all without his go to his signature move, which is martial arts. Right. Right. No, and no ninja mask or anything like that. Or even Steve no. James, no Steve James. But no. it's it's just, you know, for whatever reason, it just feels like it falls off a cliff. And I think and here's my logic for it. And I really don't have much more to say, but I'll say my logic is, is that once Jalil really kind of steps to the center of the movie I, I i don't know i i maybe need to see more marie films maybe i need to I, i'm pretty sure i've seen tiger claws at least one and two. Oh yeah i don't know if i've seen the circuit movies but maybe we should talk about those at some point because i don't know that jalil's got a look and i think he's a good looking guy but he is in this movie he is very wooden uh for me yes uh, he didn't have as much passion as i would like and uh, I mean, there's a sex scene in here. There's some. There's some stuff like that. Oh man, I'll he, be talking about that. Yeah, he goes. <laughs> he goes full tilt into the vanity project sides of the yes. thing. So there, there is some of that. But I don't know, man. I, I just felt like after that first thirty or forty minutes, it just kind of, it just kind of falls flat after that, and it never really builds to a crescendo that is good enough for me, especially because by the time it gets to the very end, uh, and I'm not giving any spoilers away here. I'm just gonna say. I mean, the end takes place on like what looks like some muddy gravel road. Oh man! And it's yeah. the, it's the most anticlimactic, <laughs> like final fight. You know, they like they like I said, they spend all their money on the warehouse dinner scene, and you would think they go back to the warehouse because again, these movies did a lot of these warehouse action scenes. You think it'd go back to that, but no, they they decided to go outside. And it looks like they filmed like the majority of the movie in L.A. and then they went to like Mississippi to shoot the finale or something. I will tell you, this is Toronto shot. Mayor, wow. he is from that. Toronto and being from Toronto, there's so he, he shot here a lot. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's like Toronto. It's up near Canada, up near the airport, man. Like there's stuff up near the airport where there's a lot of fields and stuff. It looks like up. It's, you know, if anyone's in the GTA, it's kind of like Vaughn or like uh, Woodbridge. Um, a lot out that way. Like, there, you know, farm, there's like a farm he got a hold of. And yeah. Yeah, it's just weird. Like you said, a movie about VR that he doesn't have a f- big fina- VR finale. I mean, it's it's almost like there's boss battles to get to the finale, but mm-hmm. then the final boss battle with the guy who champions the VR technology more than anyone is forced to fight in a muddy gravel road. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's it's very much a lame duck, not a not a duck hunt. Yeah, that point. that's right, man. It just feels like it does feel like Marie. He's trying to make a a, a game or a movie about video games a little bit in VR. And it feels like he doesn't know anything about those things, uh, which is fine. I'm okay with that because we've seen films where people make films, you know, stories about stuff and they think they know. 
You know, that's fine. I'm, I'm down for that all day. That, that, that sometimes leads to some very entertaining stuff. It does. But here, it just seems like he loses track of what he's trying to do, especially after what develops with Stone. And I won't give it away in case anybody does want to brave the waters and watch this. But I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was watchable. Um, it's not the best thing. It's not the best thing we've ever done. Um, but it's not half bad. I mean, it's, again... It's it's a watchable film. I, I think some might get some more out of it than I did. I'm curious what you thought, though, so I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, let me run down some stuff here. So, yeah, Jalal Mary, I know some people, and I almost feel like this is one of those, and I don't mean this to disparage him, because I really do feel I have an affection for Mary, because I feel like he really filled a void in the 90s, Um after the boom of the 80s, up until about 90, 91, the video stuff, horror and action, a lot of the genre stuff, um, the quality dipped, censorship kind of re- reared its ugly head again. And the whole indie scene kind of took over and, and stuff that was kind of meatheaded and clumsy and fun kind of disappeared for stuff that was more self-referential. You know, you had the whole scene with, with Tarantino and that whole band you know the bender produced stuff and it just things had kind of changed and mary kept you know kept making stuff and it was fun so i don't want to sound like i'm disparaging him but it just feels like he fancies himself as the lebanese canadian steven seagal and he's going to abandon the need for his part like he has two quality partners in this film and abandons them as a director or as the person, the creative entity behind the film, which to me is disappointing because, you know, him and that, the McCarthy is partner in the beginning and he's worked with Cynthia Rothrock as well. And he kind of pushed her to the side a bit. Mm-hmm. So I get it. You know, he wants to be the man and he has every right. It's his, it's his dollars and cents making the films, but put the talent you have that you're getting, put them to use. Let, um, uh, McCarthy, I can't think of who what the actress's name is now. Um, I think it was McCarthy. Now I'm second guessing myself, but <laughs> she's great. Evan Lurie is Stone. Like let them, you know, let them stretch their legs a little bit. Yeah, uh, because he tries to carry too much of it, um, and you know, like you said, he is a bit stiff at times. Um, I'll tell you what's not stiff. What actually flows really well, though, to transition away from that is we get a really good skullet on that brawny, really sleazy Kelsey Grammer heavy. Um, (laughs) D'Agostino. D'Agostino, yeah. He's kind of fun. He is kind of fun. He's like a really sleazy, husky uh, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like Frasier. Greasy. Yeah, like a fast food Frasier. Fast food Frasier, man. Yeah. (laughs) Triple F. Yeah, he's got the Grecian formula in his hair. I mean, it's just, it's oily. It's very skullet. It's it's good. Um... What else do we got here? There's a lot of bald, goateed henchmen in this. Yeah. I don't know if it's a sign of the time or. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, might oh, be. There's a lot of them, man. A lot of them. Um, you know what's good too to get back to that that uh, that warehouse scene for just a moment. There's so many awkward old dudes in tuxedos doing death dances. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it, that's really fun for better or worse. Uh, you talked about the rocket launcher, the car explosions, which are great. Um, 
Now, Lurie was good in American Kickboxer too. That was one of my notes. It was it was nice to see him. Um, oh, you know what's good too, man? I'm surprised you didn't mention this. David Bradley is so bent on this VR, his expected his VR programming uh, and global domination that he he fucking shoots down that old booze hound at the bar hard and fast. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He really, he really makes her feel like shit. Man, he wants no part of her. <laughs> so pretty savage, actually, the way he shoots. Yeah, you he's he was stone cold on that one. Um, <laughs> I, I love the line in this. You're that virtual reality guy. That stuff's realer than real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you see it. That's the problem. Is then he like, like you said, he shows the creature. Oh, That's man. the problem. He does. He shows the creature too much, man. Yeah. Um. I mean, he there, it, there's full on. I mean, for those who don't know, when we say show the creature, I mean, there's full like minute and a half fight scenes in these fake VR rooms. Yeah, like dungeons on like, um, you know how Yor stands on that like cliff little platform there's yeah. like a lot of those yeah. yeah it just doesn't it doesn't look good and that's that's the no. problem that's part of the problem with the fighting's fine in the scenes it just doesn't yeah. look good yeah no it's true it's very true um what's cool is if you ever wanted to see david bradley wear a turtleneck two nintendo power gloves and macho man sunglasses <laughs> all at the same time yeah. this is the movie for you yeah yeah if that's been a goal if that's been a goal of yours <laughs> If that's on your cinematic bucket list or your cinematic bingo card, yeah. we got you covered. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, and he goes for it. That's what I mean. Like, he goes for it when he's you know he's in the VR realm. Yeah, I mean he's the best thing in this movie. Yeah, he's good, man. Yeah, and he and he's, he, he's he's again like I, like you just said he he goes for it, and I, you got to have somebody him and D'Agostino, those two guys they yeah. go, they go for every scene they're in. Yeah, it's true. And again, even Stone, like Evan Lurie and and uh, his other partner in it, Mar- is it Mary Moore? Maybe no, uh, I don't know. I don't want to short shift with a short shift, but I just I don't see her in the credits here, and we got to keep rolling. Um, what else do we got here? I'll tell you that one scene with the pen, where David Bradley, it's just solely shot so he can flex with a tank top on. You know where you see squeezing the pen on the. Like the touchscreen thing, and he's just flexing. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just a little ridiculous vein moment. Um, speaking of veins, <laughs> Jalal shows no imagination in his his lovemaking, his sex scene, his fireside sex scene. He's got like the white briefs on. It's like, man, go put on some Euro cut bikini briefs. Do something. Yeah, it's so weird. The nineteen ninety five Marie makes expect no mercy. With uh, Billy Blanks, yeah, and it's also it's it's written by Stephen Maunder, Maunder again. And, oh yeah, uh, directed by Zale Dalen. What a name! And this one is actually shot in Scarborough. Uh, nice, but it's interesting because it's Billy Blanks in a VR, a VR movie. So I guess Jalal and and Maunder, it's like we didn't get it right the first time. <laughs> let's yeah, let's go back to it and call it "Expect to Die," or maybe they were doing going to do an "Expect" trilogy: "Expect No Mercy," "Expect to Die," and "Expect," I don't know, something for the third one. But they never got to. That's that. That'd be good, the "Expect" trilogy. But I'll tell you, I read something somewhere that Mary had produced, being a good businessman, he had produced a video game, and I think they used some footage from the video game in this movie. So, taken yeah. from the school of Godfrey Ho, yeah. he kind of 
stitches a few things together. <laughs> he tries, yes. <laughs> tries, he tries. Um, I love at the 31 minute mark, we get David Bradley uttering the line, expect to die. <laughs> and, and, and they drop it a few times in this, which is great. Yes, yes. Um, and he's so serious when he when he's like the the dm of sorts like he's essentially like the virtual reality dungeon master right yeah you know except he kind of cheats sometimes right like he'll come well, in he and does he kind of finishes the uh, guys off if he doesn't like what's happening silence game player <laughs> this is an introductory level death <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. the jail level <laughs> expect to die <laughs> expect to die expect to die <laughs> Um, it sounds yeah, so man. weird to say it out loud. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, what else do we got here? Do, 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 do. Uh, another great mullet on the design guy at the lab. That was good. Yeah, I feel um, like I feel like most people had moved on from the mullet by '97, but I guess in not that, in Toronto, man. I, guess I hate uh, to say it, but yeah. <laughs> clearly like the we, Canadians shot, were hanging. On. <laughs> shot in the Midwest. Shot in Wisconsin and St. Paul. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Um, still hockey territory, so the mullet makes still, sense. Yeah, yeah, it's still uh, still for a game. Uh, the mullet's made a comeback, actually, man. Yeah, it's, I've it seen is. a lot of rugby players. Yeah. Tons of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certain mullets. sports, certain sports. I don't know what's going on, but certain sports. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, judging because I don't care. I wore a mullet for years, but um, certain sports, it seems like it's making a comeback. Yeah, it's even making a comeback in baseball a little bit. I don't doubt it. I'll tell you what. I said to William, we were watching New Zealand play. I can't remember who it was. Uh, not Wales. Anyway, a couple of the dudes, like the, the really good players, have mullets. And I said to William, I said, William, if I was 23 right now, I'd be I'd, I'd grow my hair into a mullet just just for fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No responsibilities. You know, just, party, yeah. you know, business in the front, party in the rear, man. Yeah, little dirt stash in the front. Get the mullet going. <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> good times. I would not wear the underwear that Mary he wears, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a that wouldn't be a good move. Nope, nope. Uh, what else do we got here? Mary, he shows off his push-up skills and rope climbing skills in this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, he also has this strange fixation with early 90s house music in the film. Yeah. Uh, it was so strange, I didn't even pay attention to it. I know what you're talking about, but I, I was like, usually I'll look up and see like who that is or something. Because I'll be so curious, but I was not curious enough for that one. Yeah. It was some Armenian uh, composer, Varuj something, Varuj something. Anyway, yeah, just this early 90s, like, tribal house music and house music at bizarre spots in the film. Um, what's funny is there's a very uniquely GGTMC moment here that's kind of turned on its head. So they stop at a fruit stand. There's not like a car crash at the fruit stand, but they actually fight at the fruit stand. <laughs> I don't know what it is about fruit. And uh, oh, man. I, I got to tell you, living where I live, you don't really, you know, I'm not in a, a metro area, so I guess I don't run into fruit stands much. But I've been to a few big cities in my day. I got to say, I never run into fruit stands. No, not unless, not well, I guess it depends where. You get some, but they're not as abundant as. If you go to like a farmer's market or like a yep. an area where that is the attraction, you know, mm -hmm. shopping in front of a storefront, you know, or. You know, you go to like like you walk down the street and you got the fruit, you got the bookstore with the books out front, you got yep. you know, if that's the attraction like Notting Hill or something in England. Sure. Then yeah, I understand. But you could go to almost any American city, uh, and I guarantee you what you will not see 
on the sidewalks is fruit. You'll see a lot no. of uh, a lot of things you might not ever want to see again, but you won't see fruit, unfortunately. No. But maybe they took it off the streets of America because so many people were running into it in the movies. Well, I think yeah, there's there was a lot of car accidents. I think the insurance industry made it so difficult <laughs> for the average fruit stand uh, uh, merchant that they just priced them out of business. Yeah. Walmart, right? well, yeah, Walmart took it over. That's Walmart what took it over, man. I used the insurance yeah. angle. There we go. The death. See, this is the kind of stuff market. you get from the gentleman's scatterman. that you don't get from any other podcast. Do you? <laughs> We're going the into the man. yeah the insurance scams uh, by the big insurance companies to get rid of the the collusion, the, the small man fruit stand. <laughs> yeah, the small man fruit stand. Um, you know what's what's bizarre in this is how Lurie, uh, Lurie, uh, Mary's wife gets kidnapped, and they put her in this like braless Ren Fair dress. Oh, yeah. And they make her almost into like this Nintendo Power team member where she has to walk him through the game. Yeah, it's very strange. Which which is strange. And she calls him Warlord, and I think he calls her Princess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it really takes on this bizarre kind of like, like Ren Fairy DM kind of... Well, that's when I wrote the note down that it feels like a guy making a movie about video games who knows nothing about video yes. games. Yes. Warlord. Princess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he knows the very basics. Like you Very know, basics. You're a hero. You're either a barbarian or a warlord, and you have to save a princess. Yeah. I mean. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, fantasy 101. So I don't. That I don't, is. I don't know. That, that that stuff felt very clunky. And again, that's where to me, the movie just kind of falls apart. I mean, Bogs it, down. Yeah, it falls apart before that, but it really falls apart by the time it starts getting to the finale. It's stuck in the VR mud at that point, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, and I'll tell you a serious question here. Is Mary the first action star to wear an oversized drab mustard yellow t-shirt and khakis for the boss battles? Mm. That's a tough question because, you know, that drab mustard color was pretty popular in the 90s. Oh, man, but that look, like, you got to oh. spice it up, man. You're the man. You want to be the yeah. man. You got to dress like the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's de- again, he felt, him and Bradley, both in the movie, they felt like, you know, middle-aged guy goes to Apple Store. That's what they felt like. Yeah, see, they should have seen, and again, this, I am not disparaging Mary because he's a good martial artist. I've seen other things. He acquits himself well, but I would have liked to have seen this film with Bradley in the Blake role and Mary yeah. in the Dr. Vincent McIntyre role. Yeah. Yeah. I think Mary's got a, uh, a hero complex problem. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, what else do we got? Okay. So this, this might be the worst team of henchmen in the history of cinema. This is the glass jaw crew. <laughs> yeah. They I go mean, down pretty quick. I mean, they're basically uh house of matchsticks. Dude, they are, <laughs> they are. Um, we get expect to die said again towards the back end of the film. Oh yeah. But but Bradley says it in a really like bitter kind of snide way. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um what's cool about the VR in this is there is one scene where it's just seamless where the VR realm we get teleported to the barn in Friday the 13th part 3. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I, I because they spend most of the movie in these kind of like grid-like, almost Tron-like environments. Yeah, yeah, they totally do. And then the, toward the end, they decide to mix it up a little bit. It kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, what else is bizarre is anytime you see shooting in movies, generally people try to evade the bullets. But I feel like one of the running themes in this movie is anytime someone is shooting a gun, they stand wide-legged and just, they don't dutch, they don't dutch, they don't 
dodge or duck for anything. They just keep shooting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just bullets. There's no dead. evasive maneuvering. No, there's not. <laughs> no. No, it's, that's a recipe for disaster if you're a henchman. Um, yeah, we get uh, – how about this, man? How about that, that directorial sleight of hand in the mud when that gun goes off? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Again, I, the the back end of the movie to me is just it, it's just very sloppy. It's, yeah, it's literally very, and figuratively. Yeah, yeah, it's just a very strange climax to a movie that's established itself as a quote unquote high tech thriller. Yeah, it just it it gets away from that, and you could say, well, they ran out of money. Okay, so then get in the editing room and and shuffle some things around. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean. Like that's the whole crux of the film. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strange. The only thing more awkward than that is the death pose that David Bradley gets put in at the end of the film. Do you see how his legs are? Oh, I just spoiled it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but do you see how uh, he's bent backwards in the mud puddle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that was the most absurd, awkward death pose I've seen in, in recent memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, it, good on him. What a good sport. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he. I mean, he, go, he goes for it again. That, that's that's what I was surprised by the most by this movie. Yeah, those are actually all my notes, dude. All right, um, make or break. I think for me, it's got to be the warehouse scene. I know it's not as the it's not the ludicrous kind of VR stuff. That's kind of the central point of this film, but it's a pretty good action scene, and it's pretty crazy, and mm-hmm. I like what it tries to do. And it's got a nice payoff. It's it's kind of like a really good little action movie within this kind of bigger, more broad, potentially not as good action movie mm-hmm. um, that I enjoyed. Uh, MVT, I'm going to go with Bradley. I think he's pretty good in the movie. And again, he goes for it. And that's important, uh, I think, in these movies especially. It's very important that they go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what works for me. Um, I'm going to say... My score is going to sound low, but you know I always think about the first film we first films we reviewed. I think Rolling Thunder and they they call, uh, me. They call me Trinity. I think yeah. we, I think those were in the six and seven territory. And as I've, as time has gone on, I kind of wish I would have given those films a higher rating for real uh, because I think they're better movies than that. But I think we were being you know we were, we were getting our legs right. We were, our, yeah, we were trying to be tough but fair. Yeah, yeah. We were more tough than fair, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe more. I don't, I might be more tough than fair on this one. I can't go above a six though. Uh, and I can't, I can't quite give it a six. I'm gonna go five point seven five. That's fair, man. Yeah, that's very fair. I, I just think it it just it loses a lot of steam for a, a good half of the movie, a good half to a little bit over half. It gets lost in Jalal Mary's khakis at the back end. Yeah. Lost in VR. Lost in VR. Yep. Uh, you know we're we're pretty much in lockstep. Uh, my make or break is also the opening of the web house. The web house. Nice. The warehouse. The webhouse would be good. Um, the warehouse scene is cool because it's almost like when you get you go for dinner and you get this really great app, like you get calamari or maybe like loaded potato skins are your thing or a caprese salad or something. Like, oh, I'm really digging this, man. This is going to be a good meal. Then you get the main course and maybe the pasta is a little, pasta's a little undercooked and the chicken's rubbery. And so, oh, man, well, at least that app was good. You know, it just it started good. And <laughs> yeah. I had fun. Like I said, I had more fun with the the VR stuff than you did, but not by a lot. And the warehouse 
really is a good um, low budget action scene. Yeah. By any measure, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's playful. It's got lots of action. It, it you know explosions, fucking rocket launcher, <laughs> lingerie shootout, mannequins. I mean, again, your GGTMC bingo card is being ticked off, covered quite well there. Yeah. Um, also. You know, my initial MVT was sort of the concept. This, this is going to sound weird, like a backhanded compliment. It was originally going to be the concept and the ambition paired with the execution. Just makes it for sort of a you know rickety sort of enjoyable watch. But as we're talking here, I, this, the more I I realize, I mean, I really was charmed by Bradley uh, in this one as a again against type, no martial arts. He's really having fun. He's not stiff. He's not boring. He's really pouring it all out for Dr. Vinny Mack in this one. So he's the MVT. And again, the logic is, I don't know how many more Bradley films we're going to cover. I'd like to say we're going to cover some more. Oh, I'm sure we will. But, you know, you never know. So until then, I'm going to give it to Bradley. My score is higher than yours. Uh, it's a 6.25 out of 10. So, oh, okay, okay. You know, this one's not great. Um, you know, I, I was in the mood for something junky when I watched it, so... Yeah. It, I mean, I could, s- I could see myself floating up to six, maybe, but not much yeah. higher. Yeah, this isn't. This definitely isn't even like a six and a half. Like, yeah. I could not go any higher than six point two five. Like, I think, you know, five point five to six point two five. Yeah, that's pretty fair. It's somewhere in there, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's watchable at that point. Yeah, watchable. You know, that's about it. It's not going to set your world on fire, but there's enough. I think there's enough kind of what the fuck stuff in this that it's yeah. worth a yeah. talk with like-minded friends. Like I know Jason Cortez watched it when I first talked about it and he really loved it. Yeah. He gave it, he gave it four stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> well, he certainly liked so, it more than we did, but yeah, I mean, he was there's nothing wrong. VR realm. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that though. I mean, no. I, again, I, I think that's the best way to kind of describe this. If you're down for this kind of entertainment, I think you'll have a pretty good time with the movie. Absolutely. If you're going into this looking for La Strada, you're not going to have a good time with this movie. <laughs> no. Nope. You know, if you went for Fellini and what you got was a uh, a gabagool, uh you know, it's just not going to it's not going to work out, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> let, let that's just it. And let me say this, I'd be remiss. I kept not mentioning her name and she is really fun in the beginning of the film. Mary Moore as Carrie, his partner. Oh yeah. In the first in the warehouse scene. Yeah, she's a pretty good-looking lady. Yeah, she is good-looking, man. She was in some Nash Bridges. She was in Murder at 1600 with Wesley Snipes and oh, Diane Lane. Interesting. I didn't know that. How about yeah, that? Yeah, so she didn't do much, man, but it's uh, it's too bad because she's kind of fun and energetic. So, wow, listen to this. Oh, man. She's a drama teacher at uh, a high school in Mississauga. Nice. Which is, uh, sorry, which is where the, like, it's like a borough in Toronto in the West End, right where the airport is. Nice. Hilarious. You get a still from this movie and get her to sign it. I should. I wouldn't. I, there's some obvious ones I would have to avoid. I think to not look gross, but <laughs> yeah, it is true. It's a different time yeah. nowadays. You can't walk different in there with time, the, man. Yeah. Hey, could you sign this picture of you in lingerie, please? Yeah, with your back arched and a gun in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's our thoughts on uh, Expect to Die. So uh, check it out if you are so inclined. And uh, yeah, that's all we got. Just remember, you should expect to die. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 